Good morning, good morning, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Good to, it's good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to be assembled with you here this morning. It's good to be in the presence of the Lord. Everywhere we go, we know He is already there, and He's watching over us, and He's keeping us. And uh, what a delight it is to serve a living God, to serve a God who is alive and well, and serve a God who is coming again. Do you believe He's coming again? Really? You believe it? Okay. Okay. Amen. Well, we're going to be looking at that subject this morning. In the book of Luke, chapter 17 and verse 22, there is a great deal of uh, interest in the end times and the second coming of Jesus Christ and the events that are going to be leading up to the second coming of Christ and the events that are going to take place after He returns and the establishment of His kingdom, and all the glorious things that are going to take place. Now, if you're like me, uh, for many years you may have dodged and ducked and, uh, and closed the book when it comes to the book of Revelation. Well, last year here at Hope in Christ, we tackled that glorious book. And uh, I believe it was a blessing to you. It was certainly a blessing to me. I love to study the things of the end because I know in the end we win. I know in the end God has something far greater than what man's eyes has ever beheld. We don't know yet how glorious it's going to be. But we know that according to His Scripture, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be something to to shout about. It's going to be something to praise Him for all of eternity about. You see, that's what is going to motivate us to praise God. It's because we're going to be so marveled. We're going to be so astonished at the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and what He's going to prepare for you is glorious. If you're born again, if He is your Lord and Savior, if He is the King and kings and Lord of lords in your life, I'll get to my main text here. Luke 17, 22. The Lord is speaking to His disciples. And He tells them, He says, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, Look there and look here. Do not go away. Do not run after them. For just like the lightning... When it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so that the Son of Man be in His day. Verse 25 says, But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating. They were drinking. They were buying. They were selling. They were planting. They were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. A-L-L, all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, On that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. Do you believe the Word of God is true? you believe that God means what He says? In his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word that is so powerful and how deep it runs and how, Lord, we marvel at the images that come into our minds of the things that are going to happen at your return, at the things that eye hath not seen Ears have not heard the things that have never even entered into the heart of man. Oh, God, may your church be awake in these times in which we live. Lord, may we be light in the midst of the darkness. May we be bold and courageous, for we truly know in the end that it will all work out well for your church, for your people that you came and died on the rugged cross of Calvary to redeem and to save us from the heavy judgment, the righteous judgment of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, give me utterance this morning to present this message in a way that is pleasing to you. Remove me, a man, out of the way. Lord, make me the messenger with your message, not my own but yours. Leading God our thoughts, our minds, our hearts to receive, open them. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Well, Lord, we praise you. We honor you. And your word is glorious to us. And we give it all our attention. You're supreme in our lives, Jesus. And your church says, amen. It's characteristic of the born-again believer to be looking for the return of Jesus Christ. We got saved from something. We proclaim to be saved from something. We claim to be redeemed from something. The price has been paid. That's what it means to be redeemed. The price has been paid. We've been saved for something, for some reason. I want you to see that the Lord's return here 
is going to meet, be in majesty and it's going to be in glory. As believers, we long to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've already looked at the world. The world really has nothing that spectacular to see. The most spectacular things are the things that God Himself brought into existence, which is everything. But when man lays his hand on it and when he touches it, oftentimes he corrupts it. He turns something beautiful into something ugly. He turns something glorious into something dark and vile. The Bible says that the thought of a man's heart is continuously wicked. So what we lay our hands to as the human race, we often corrupt. As a matter of fact, we corrupted the earth because of our disobedience to God in the Garden of Eden. As believers, we love and we understand the Holy Scripture as God's spoken word to you and to me. That is what God wants you to know. It is, it is in the pages of His glorious book. He has spoken to you so that you don't have to dream up a God. You don't have to hope without expectation. You see, as born-again believers, we hope with expectation. We look for the return of our Lord and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We're looking for the blessed hope that our Savior is going to bring. We look for His appearing in the eastern sky. We listen for the sound of the trumpet. We look for a brighter day. That's eternal, not one day, but one eternal day. In our study of the book of Revelation last year, at the close of the book, Jesus left us a glorious promise. He said, yes, I come quickly. I come quickly. Jesus will come quickly in that it will be in a time that is unexpected by the world. As the church, we should always be expecting today could be that day. We expect and we long for it. All of humanity stands right on the threshold of imminent judgment. Did you know that? This whole world, as Brother, uh, as Brother Chad spoke about earlier, this world is going to be burned up completely, and it's going to be obliterated, an atomic obliteration. It's going to disappear completely, and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth created. This, this is right doctrine that I'm preaching to you this morning. This is the truth. It's the truth. One of the greatest delusions of our time is that man believes that he is going to be able to create the new millennial kingdom. In other words, man is delusional in that he thinks that he's going to make this earth something better. I don't want to get political. But how is making America great again 
going? How's it working out? I'm all for doing better. I'm all for doing well, doing good, everyone doing well. But the problem is, according to Scripture, things are only going to get worse, and that's my point. That is the point. We need to learn to lean on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope for your future and for my future. He's the hope for for all nations. But all of humanity stands in the threshold of, of imminent judgment. It is coming. It's coming. Yet most don't care. Most will, will, will give out a big yawn when you talk about the judgment of God coming. Most, most will go take a nap when you talk about, get ready, get ready, he's coming. It's a bunch of background noise after a while. I want you to know that that's what was happening in the days of Noah. That's what was happening in the days of Lot. They became complacent. They began to not worry about the judgment that was to come. Most people, they predominantly give little consideration to the return of Christ. They'll laugh and they'll scoff at that notion. Oh, yeah, we've heard it before. I'm 49 years old, just turned 49 last week. I heard that message all my life. I heard my granddaddy preach it. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He's in that glorious place. But I still believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could return any second, any moment, in the twinkling of an eye, in a time when you think not is when the Lord is going to return. Second Peter 3 and 3 says, Know this first of all, that in the last days will come, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? Forever. Since the fathers fell asleep, so all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Is it, is it a little hot in here to y'all? It's a little warm to me. You'll see me sweat. Never let them see you sweat. You've heard that before, hadn't you? You never let them see you sweat. But I want to say this. According to to the end times, there would be mockers, there would be slanderers against the Word of God, against His church against his anointed, they would come out in, the, in, the, in, in, uh, in rioting gear. They'd come out in, uh, in uh, rebellion against God. There, there has never been more of a time than the Lord Jesus Christ has been slandered. There's never been more of a time than the church and the preachers and the Word of God and the faithful few and the judgment of Christ and the news about the judgment of Christ coming, there's never been a time when people have been more complacent, more unconcerned, more laid back. Let's take a nap. Mockers were everywhere during this time as well. The Bible foretells that they would come mocking and following after their own lusts. 
following after their own lust. The Bible teaches that the church is going to be caught up. You know that? The Bible teaches that the church is going to be snatched away. It's going to be raptured out of this place, leaving behind all of those who were not ready. That is, all of those who were not in the church are going to be left behind. And this is not a world that we want to be in when the church is gone. You need to know that there's no prophetic sign that is necessary that would bring about the rapture. There's no sign that is necessary. The rapture is the next event on the horizon. The rapture is the next event. And we should live with the anticipation that it it can and will occur in a time when the masses in the world think not. I'm glad to be a, a fool for Jesus Christ, aren't you? I'm glad to be sold out to Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that after the church is raptured, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period. And it's going to occur like the world has never seen, calamities of the likes that the world has never witnessed. And having been taken to heaven in the rapture, the church is going to be gone. The Bible teaches that at Jesus' second coming, Christ will be accompanied by his raptured church. If we die before the rapture, when the rapture occurs, we're going to come back with Christ according to Scripture. This is right doctrine. Listen, Revelation 19, 14 says, The the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. He's going to be accompanied by heaven. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns, it is going to be a sight to behold like you've never seen in this world. Amen. It's going to be glorious. It's going to make you shout. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you, it's going to make you ready to go, excited to go. But at the completion of the seven years of tribulation, the Lord is going to return, and He's going to return in judgment. For those that are not ready, when he returns in judgment after the uh, seven-year period of tribulation, he's going to return to this world, and he's going to establish his millennial kingdom from which he's going to rule, and he's going to reign for a thousand years. That's what millennial is. That means a thousand. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years upon this earth. So after the, after the, uh, the completion of the thousand-year reign, Christ is going to permit Satan to be released from the bottomless pit. We studied about this in the book of Revelation. And when, when Satan is released, he's going to lead a final rebellion against God. Can you imagine going to, going to battle with God? Well, that's precisely what Satan wants you to do today. He wants you to battle with the Word of God in that you just can't figure it out and you just determine that it's not for you, that you're just going to live your life in a way that suits you, and you're going to just deal with God later if that time ever comes. This is serious. This is serious. There's going to come a day when this church is not here. And whoever may come knocking on that door to talk to someone, the church won't be here. 
They come into this place listening for the Word of God. Where's that minister at that was talking about a, a, a hope? Where's that minister at who was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's prepared for me? He's gone. With all the other saints of God, he's gone. There's no more opportunity. How more serious can it be? Satan is going to lead a rebellion against God. And the evil forces of Gog and Magog, they will, they will be loosed. And in this battle, they're going to lose instantaneously. We talk about the battle of Armageddon. It's not going to be much of a, of a battle. At the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, says the word of, of uh, the, the sword that comes out of his mouth. That's the word. At his word, they're going to be destroyed. Multitudes and multitudes will be slaughtered. Multitudes will be slaughtered at the power of the Lord Jesus Christ's word. The Bible teaches that the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies, they will be taken prisoner along with the false prophets and those who receive the mark of the beast and those who worship his image in the, the, the great tribulation. And they're going to be thrown alive. The word of God says they're going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. This is not lighthearted preaching, is it? Praise the Lord. We don't need lighthearted preaching. We need to preach with a passion. We need to tell the truth with a passion. If you know people that are dying and going to hell, what would you do to help them get to know Jesus Christ? You can't force anyone. I understand it. But they need to see the urgency in the church. A church that is alive and expecting Christ to come. If we're no more excited than the lost world, what business do they have wanting to come to church? I hope the churches will come alive and, and be a witness looking for a greater city, looking for that which is to come. Lord, forgive us all. But they're going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns for all of eternity in brimstone. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7. The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. And to those, listen to me, and to those who do not obey the gospel. Whoa! Stop the press! You mean to tell me that he expects us to obey the gospel? That's what it says. If you have a Bible and you open it up, yours probably says the same thing as mine does. 
He's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of their Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away from, whoo, listen, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. These are not my words. I didn't plan this. But for a church that's ready, the church is in agreement. Having been mockingly questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God is coming, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said in Luke 17 and 23, let's look at that again. They will say to you, look there, look here, don't go away, do not go away, do not run after them. For just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So false teachers, they're going to try to deceive the people. We have many among us today, I won't get on that uh, stump, but we have many false teachers teaching uh, things to be the truth. Half-truths are still lies. You know that, don't you? If it's anything less than the whole truth, then it's a lie. There's going to be false teachers that are going to try to deceive the people by enticing them to look here, look there for Christ. And there's going to be false Christ. and, uh, and, And they're going to deceive many. But the Lord has warned. He says, see to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time is near. He says, do not listen to them. The word of God tells us to be on guard, church. The word of God tells us to put on the full armor of God. Put on the helmet. Guard your mind. Guard your eyes. Guard your ears. Some will claim that Christ has returned and revealed himself to them. So now they can tell you about Christ. Many people have claimed to have had special revelations from Christ. Yet the Word of God teaches that when Jesus appears, it will be like a flash of lightning across the sky. Suddenly, he will appear for everyone to see. And no one will miss this awesome, spectacular event. For every eye will see him. It's beginning to rain. So it was in the days of Noah. And we're going to get to Noah here in just a minute. Like a conquering general, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white horse and he's going to be accompanied by the armies of heaven for all of the world to see. Now, in reference to his own suffering, Jesus affirms to his disciples here in verse 25. He says, But first, he must suffer all things and be rejected by this generation. Now, we know that when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, it wasn't very long that he was placed upon a cross because he was rejected by the Jewish nation. Jesus points out to his disciples that before he returns a second time, that he must complete the purpose of his first coming. He humbled himself 
and would suffer many things and be rejected by that generation. Being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now the Lord then turned to the questions around here. Having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, Jesus turns to his disciples by pointing to two climatic periods in the history. The days of Noah and the days of Lot. It's raining water today. It was raining water then. In the days of Lot, it rained fire and brimstone. In the day of judgment, it's going to rain fire and brimstone. They wasn't expecting the rain to fall in the days of Noah. They wasn't expecting for one drop to come down. It had never rained upon the earth. And they laughed and they mocked Noah as he spent 120 years building this boat. How ridiculous does that sound? It's never rained. It can't flood. It's impossible to flood. Oh, but it did. Oh, but it did. Jesus says in Luke 17, 26, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. They were, be, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came. And destroyed them all. Now, with the exception of Noah, the the people would be carrying on with their ordinary life. Oh, it's life as usual. Everyday affairs. They were oblivious to the doom that, that, that was out ahead of them. Even though they were told they didn't believe it, not for one second, and they disregarded it altogether. That's why the churches are empty today. They disregard the truth of God's Word. They disregard the fact that they're going to have to stand before a righteous and holy God. Now, mention of the days of Noah takes us back to Genesis 4 through 6. I don't have these scriptures. But Moses, he describes a perverted society. Noah describes a society that their hearts had grown, clo- had grown cold. They were a godless society. They were a, a society that determined they were going to do things their own way. Sounds much like today's society, doesn't it? It was a perverted society that was fast-paced. They were clever We have a lot of clever people today. We have a lot of highly educated people today. But they were filled with violence and advanced occultism. It was an utterly godless society despite Noah's warning of the coming wrath of God. The people were going about their lives. They were living according to their own pleasures, unimpeded by the coming judgment. Luke 17, 28 says, It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planning, they were building. But on the day 
that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, Sodom, the city of Sodom in Lot's day, was a wretched time in human history. I don't have to talk a whole lot about Sodom for you to understand what was going on in Sodom. Sodom, the name Sodom refers to the sin of sodomy, a sodomite, a homosexual. So vile were the men of Sodom that they attempted to commit sodomy with the two angels, if you recall. The the two angels that were sent to rescue Lot and his family from Sodom's imminent judgment. Perversion that once seemed unlikely has in a matter of a few days, a few decades, it's become prevalent in America. The same uh, perversion that was going on in those days is going on all around the world, is absolutely fully accepted before the eyes of the people. With the launch of the information highway, People, were, people are exposed to the most vulgar, the most violent, the most corrupt imagery that can be imagined. You see things with your eyes today that 15 years ago you couldn't imagine. Is that the truth? Social media platforms has enabled mass communication of propaganda, and it's enabled misinformation to spread all over the place. What could have been used for good has been used by and large to destroy relationships. It's been used to destroy marriages. It's been used to destroy families and break up homes. The perversion is on every side. It's piped into our homes. It's piped into our phones. It's before us all the time, and God knew it was coming. Wickedness has, has corrupted us literally. Moral boundaries are not moved, but moral boundaries are completely torn down. The wickedness has increased and the world has been a wicked place before, but I believe we've entered a time when the world has become more wicked than it's ever been, certainly in the the past 2,000 years. We're seeing a violence in the street. We're seeing random people that are mowed down by knives or mowed down by guns. And all the time they're mocking God. They're mocking the church. The government can't even control the wickedness of the masses. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the end times. My friend, my point that I'm trying to get across is I believe the time is near. You see, the depravity of the heart of man is not new. Moses tells of the story in Genesis 6, 5. He says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Moses wrote in 6.12, Genesis, God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. 
And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. In the days of Noah, the depraved people had totally departed from God. I believe that's the situation of the world today outside of the church. They've totally lost their moral compass. There's anarchy in the streets. It sounds so familiar to our day. The same sin that produced the flood in Noah's day are the same sins that's among us today. We need to know without a doubt that God is going to judge the world one more final time. It was water the first time. It's going to be the fierce fire and the fervent heat of the next judgment that is coming. Genesis 7.10 says, For seven days later the waters of the flood came on the earth. Can you imagine the earth completely engulfed by water? Even the mountaintops, I did a little study on it, about 30 feet over the highest peak on earth was underwater. So that means the rest of us that are down here at sea level or maybe a few thousand feet above sea level, we were miles deep in water. The earth is, I mean. But seven days later, the the waters of the flood came to the earth, and in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month to the 17th day of the month, all that All that day, all the sources of the water depths burst open and the floodgates of the sky were open and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Let's look at Genesis 7.21. It says here, Every creature perished. Those that crawl on the earth, birds, livestock, wildlife, and those that swarm on the earth, as well as all mankind. Everything With the breath of the spirit of life in his nostrils, everything on dry land died. He wiped out every living thing that was on the surface of the ground, from mankind to livestock to creatures that crawled to the birds of the sky, and they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left and those that came into the ark. You do know that Jesus Christ is our ark today, don't you? You do know that the blood of Jesus Christ is like the pitch that they put on that ark on the outside and on the inside. It was sealed up to prevent any water from leaking in. If you're a born-again believer today, you have the seal of God upon your life. You are protected by the seal of God. And this is wonderful news, as crazy and fanatical as the world is getting. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. After Lot and his wife and his daughters were taken out of Sodom, they were taken out by the angels. The Bible teaches that the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. It was totally annihilated. And may I point out that Noah and his family, Lot and his family, they were taken away to safety before judgment fell. This is good news for the church. Before the judgment fell, falls 
the church is going to be raptured. That's why it's so imperable. It's so imperative that we're ready. We're ready that we don't have to go into that judgment. This is a picture of the rapture of the church before the tribulation and God's preservation from his wrath of those converted during the tribulation. The judgments of the days of Noah and the days of Lot were preceded by warnings. The preachers and the teachers and the deacons and the Christians are forewarning those. Listen, brother, you better get ready. Listen, neighbor, you better get ready. Your life could be cut short at any moment. Are you ready? Are you ready? There's nothing so final as when they close the lid on it and place it in the ground. I'm talking about the casket. There's nothing so any more final than I've ever laid my eyes on in this world is that. And how we grieve if we don't know for certain that that individual was ready. They were ready. They were ready, prepared, and ready. Now, Luke 17 and 30 says, It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So God took care of Noah and Lot, the two who really believed his warning, and they prepared. They were ready. They had their house ready. He, he saved them from the coming judgment. And this is the, this is the crucial point. The Son of Man, when the Son of Man returns, the world will be the same as, as it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. Men will be going about their routine daily lives, taking lightly the warnings that God has given them. Men will be caught unaware. They'll be caught unexpected. They, they're not looking for the sudden return of Christ. They're looking for what they're going to do tomorrow. They're looking for what they're going to do next week. They're making plans long term. When the Word of God tells us to make no th- take no thoughts of tomorrow, that, that is, don't worry about tomorrow. But we need to live with the anticipation that we know that Christ's return is imminent and it's going to be sudden and it's going to be a time when the world does not expect. The King James Version says, in a time when you think not. sudden come of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. It leaves no time, even for a quick gathering of of possessions here. Look at this, verse 31. Verse 31 says, On that day the one who is on the housetop and those and, and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise the one who is in the field must not turn back. The reason for returning back to the house or to the field is to salvage possessions. Verse 32 says, remember Lot's wife. You remember Lot's wife. She didn't really want to leave. She was reluctant altogether to leave her old life. And what happened? She looked back at Sodom, and she turned into a pillar of salt. We know the story. And this leads to the saying here in verse 33. It says, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. As Jesus was putting forth a need, to let go of the world's possessions. Let go of what we cling to in this life. We can try to put them in our our pockets, fill our pockets to the brim. We can try to fill the banks till we run out of numbers. We can try to build the biggest house that we can find to impress the neighbor with. The people of that day 
They're going to hedge their life on Christ not returning. But Jesus explains that his sudden coming and his ensuing judgment will be it'll be discriminate and it's going to be eternal. In all outward respects, two people are going to appear to be the same kind of people. They're going to appear to be in the same condition. Look at verse 34. He says, I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other left. The two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Now, while these people may have been look, may have looked no different from one another, there was one that was prepared, that was prepared, and there was one that was not. There was a great prominent preacher in the early 1900s that said, "If I could only preach to those that I know are, that are going to be saved, it would save me a lot of time." But we preach to the masses. We preach to everyone that they may hear the gospel. And by hearing, they'll have faith and they'll believe. But when Jesus returns, he will take his followers to be with him. That is the key here this morning. Jesus is going to take his followers to be with him. We who are alive are going to be caught up to meet him in the clouds together. And this refers to those who who have accepted salvation in Jesus Christ. And only they will go with Christ when he returns. And those who've not accepted him, they're going to be caught off guard. They'll be surprised to find, yes, God is a God of righteous judgment. God is a righteous judge, and he will judge fairly. Those who've accepted, who've not accepted him, They'll perish. They'll be taken away. When the others are taken away, they'll be left behind. And those that are left behind is going to be an awful, awful scene for them to have to behold. Do you, do you believe that the world is moving to a, better, to, a better, uh, to a better plane, a higher plane, that we're becoming more uh, uh, moral, we're becoming better people, we're, we're creating better neighborhoods and we're creating a better life. Do you really believe that? If you believe that, tell me what channel you're watching because I hadn't found it yet. All I have found is a dismal, pitiful, confused, chaotic, even the very, very educated. Y'all, I have one year of college and I decided to go to work. But if you have a college degree, praise the Lord. But there are many, many highly educated people that don't seem to have the good common sense to realize what a mess and realize we need to turn to Christ. Of all of the antidotes, of all of the, all of the schemes or all of the the, the, the events that we could put together to, to bring community together, there is nothing like coming together in Christ. Christ will make you love your neighbor. Christ will make you have patience. When the love of Christ is in us, we will love one another rightly. When we finally get into heaven, 
We're going to love each one perfectly because we're going to be able to love perfectly. God's going to make us perfect. He's going to give us brand new bodies. And it's going to be glorious and it's going to be eternal. Stand with me if you will. I hope I hadn't rattled on too long this morning. But uh, I hope that the, the church can, can be reignited in the urgency to reach a lost and dying world. You know, I can be doing pretty good at my house, but if things aren't going so well at your house, it bothers me. I can be prepared and ready to meet Jesus Christ, but if I know someone who leaves this world that by the way they live their life, it looked as if they were lost, that really troubles me. So let's seek the lost while there's time. Let's, the Bible tells us to compel them to come in. Stand with us, if you will. We're going to sing a couple of songs. I want to ask you, there may not be one lost soul in the house. You know what the difference is between a lost person and a saved person? The saved person didn't give up. The saved person kept on pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need to be saved, if you've never given your life to Christ and you want the church to pray with you, you're welcome to do that. You can pray right where you are. But I wouldn't put it off. You're not promised stepping out of this building today. You're not promised to make it back to your car or make it back to your home. If you realize how urgent it is, don't delay. Come to Christ before it's everlasting too late.